Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Second guest today is Bruce Murakami and our topic, From Trauma to Social Advocacy. Bruce teamed up with the drag racing team teen, Justin Cabazas, who killed his wife, Cindy, and, the da- and daughter, Chelsea, to create Safe Teen Driver, a program designed to make our roads safer. His story was made into the Hallmark Hall of Fame movie, Crossroads, A Story of Forgiveness. Welcome to the show, Bruce. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you, you ladies for inviting me. Uh, it's great to have you on. We, uh, Heidi and I uh, heard, first heard Bruce at the Compassionate Friends National Conference last year, and uh, it was an amazing story talking about how, how Justin was drag racing and, and hit um, uh, your, the car that your wife was driving and, and uh, your daughter and wife were killed and, and how you've went, uh, gone on to connect up with him. I mean, it's just an amazing story. You want to just tell us a little bit about how you found out and, and uh, you know, the accident and that kind of thing to start with? Sure. You know, it was, it's almost 10 years ago. November 16th makes it 10 years that both Cindy and Chelsea were killed by this young man uh, right here in Tampa, Florida, where I live. And it was, you know, one of those things that you, you never believe happens to you, but it did happen to me. And to add insult to injury to this, I happened to be come upon the scene within five minutes of the crash taking place and, you know, felt very helpless because there was no no way anyone could have survived that crash and, you know, Cindy uh, and Chelsea were killed in it. Justin did receive some minor injuries in the, in the crash. At the time it happened, I didn't know how the crash took place. I just knew there were three cars involved and all three cars caught fire and, and burned to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly later, about a week later, I found out, I mean, newspaper headline is how I found out that the police suspected drag racing was what caused this crash. And to say the least, I was livid. And had I been able to get my hands on the kid, I probably would have, there probably would have been another fatality. I was, I was very angry. Mm-hmm. Um, going through my process, you know, I finally got to know this, who this young man was by going through the, the legal process with him and found out he was a nice kid, came from a, you know, a good family. And he was about the same age as one of my two boys that, that, you know, that I had. And I thought, wow, what if this is my son doing something like this? And they were looking at 30 years in prison. Somehow I just I chose to forgive this young man for what he did. I didn't condone his actions, and he still needed to serve some sort of sentence. But putting him in prison for 30 years was not the answer. And this is where I came up with the idea of him and I going around talking to other uh, high school kids about making the right choices when they get behind the wheel of a car, and that's how Safe Team Driver started. How did you? Did, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Did you approach a judge and say this is how what I think his he should have to do a community service, or how did that come about? Well, actually, what we, I did is I went back to my attorney, who I had hired to get make sure this kid was prosecuted properly. And isn't that interesting to make sure he was prosecuted? Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I know. It, it, it's uh, you know now you look back at it and think, wow, this is crazy, but. Um, you know, it, it was a process that we had to go through, but I sat with my attorney and I said, you know, what if, and these were the what ifs, and the what ifs were, you know, instead of him being in prison, what if he's on house arrest, what if he's on, you know, long probation, a lot of community service, and all these ideas I worked out with the prosecutor, and we came to a, a solution that we put in front of the judge, and the judge, you know, 
he agreed. He said it's very unusual, and he looked at Justin. I remember him saying, he goes, young man, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. He says, don't blow it, because if you come back in front of me, you're going to go to prison for 30 years. I was going to say, this was his second chance, because a lot of parents would not have behaved, done that. They would have given him the fullest, let him be in jail for 30 years. Yes, and, you know, I, and I, I looked at that, and I thought, you know, if he goes to prison, everybody's going to forget about him. Everyone's going to forget about Cindy and Chelsea, and I wanted some way to, to keep their memory alive in, in a positive way. And, you know, I'm looking back at what we've been doing for the past seven, eight years now, I'm, I'm, I've been blessed to be able to, to turn such a tragic event into something so so positive. Well, tell us about approaching Justin and meeting him the first time. Well, actually, I did... I, I, the only time I saw him, the first time I saw him in court was when he was being, when he went up and said, you know, guilty or not guilty. Never got to talk to him. It was almost about eight or nine months later when we were finally going to go to trial when I threw this idea out there. And I said, one of the conditions is I have to sit with this young man, no lawyers, no family members, nobody around, just him and I. I want to see what he has to tell me. And that was very awkward. Um, I remember, you know, it was just very silent within three or four minutes, he just started breaking down and crying, and, and you know, it was it was emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, I've been wanting to tell you I'm sorry from day one. He said, but, you know, the lawyers told me not to talk to you, and I understand that, being having gone through the process. Um, you know, I know what, what took place, and, you know, it was sincere. It was genuine. And until today, this guy, is, he's done with all of his all of his um, legal obligations to, to society. He still travels with me. He still goes around the country with me. He's committed to this. That's great. That's wonderful. You know, the legal system sometimes does make it very difficult in the forgiveness process. My friend's uh, husband was jogging, and and a kid uh, hit him and killed him. It wasn't the kid's fault, so he didn't have the legal thing. But he, uh, about six months later, my friend got a knock on the door. It was this young man, and he said, I have been told never to contact you. He said, I have to come in here and tell you how sorry I am. Wow. So, yeah. you know, the legal system does... Um, well, it can, it can be very know. punitive. Yeah. Yeah. Very difficult for the forgiveness process to go on. Mm-hmm. Well, what do your boys feel about that? How did they deal with this? Good question. Yeah, well, that, actually, my sons were very much involved in this whole process because I said, you know, I'm not going to do this just on my own because, you know, here my boys lost their mom, you know, and their sister. So I talked to them, and, you know, we they both of them said, you know, we agree with you, Dad, you know, this, this is something Mom would have wanted. And I told Justin, I said, you know, you've apologized to me. You've got to apologize to my sons, you know, right. publicly. And then he did. He in, in court, he, he looked them right in the eye and he apologized to both of them. Oh. You know? And yeah. they're they're very good with this, you know. Uh, my youngest son Brody, because he he lives here in, in the Florida area, did he's been to a couple of our assemblies um, mm-hmm. that we do. So that's amazing. Well, um, now, how many assemblies are you doing a year? We average somewhere between six to maybe ten um, that we might do, you know, together, Justin and myself, and then I, I do a lot on, on my own, um, going to different driver's ed programs or, or different things like Compassionate Friends and, and um, speaking there. Mm-hmm. So. And, and you also have your website, which is great. And uh, give us your website, um, how people yeah. would get to it. Yeah, the website is, is one word, safeteendriver.org. Um, safeteendriver.org and you also have several you've got numerous programs on your website you're involved in Get Real Behind the Wheel yeah Get Real Behind the Wheel is a program that we've actually initiated in Hawaii Um, I'm originally from Hawaii and um, 
you know, we've been just and I've been to Hawaii several times. Uh, fortunately, you know, the school district pays for us to come out there and, and to speak to, to all the kids out there. And we started the, the Get Real Behind the Wheel program, and it's just basically for teens making sure that when they get behind the wheel that they that they they really get real about what they're doing. They're not playing. They're not messing around. And right now in um, Central California, in an area called Tracy, California, they have a driving school and, and a club with a couple of the local high schools called Get Real Behind the Wheel, and there's a driving school where these kids can go out on a Saturday afternoon out at a racetrack out there and under instruction learn how to do different skills with the, with the vehicle that they're driving. That's great. You know, you know people I, forget. I also, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say I've also heard, and I don't know if you've, either one of you have heard about this, there's new software coming out where you can, it'll be put in cars where you can't go um, more than 80 miles an hour? Yes, Ford is coming out with that, I believe, next year and some of their, their smaller models, and it's where parents can actually regulate the actual speed of the car, and you can also give them other data if the kids are, you know, being reckless with the vehicle. And I, and I heard something about even that allowing them to use a cell phone or something when they're, they're in the car. Well, California's got a law now that you can't use cell phones. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, I think people sometimes forget that, and particularly kids, that they are driving a big machine. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a machine. Well, and they think they're invincible. Yeah, and it does absolutely. Yes. Well, well, you know, the car is like a deadly weapon. It, it yeah. really is. Yeah. Um, I mean, we we lose over 6,500, 15 to 19 year olds on the roads just here in America every year. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. I mean, you know, compare that to what we've, you know, the, the amount of troops we've lost in in Iraq. Um, you know, neither is an acceptable number, but we're, we're losing ten times as many teenagers on the roads here in America, and we and we don't get enough press about that because it's almost like an everyday occurrence. Absolutely. 5,500 a year, you said. 65. 6,500 a year. And, you know, my brother and cousin were part, are part of that stat. I mean, they were both 17 and died in a car accident. So, wow, wow those, are big, those are big numbers. They absolutely are. And the devastation that it does to families is absolutely an amazing thing. Um, I wanted to talk to you. You've written some wonderful things on your website uh, about forgiveness, about the power of the written word, about learning to say thanks. Uh, it's okay to laugh. Um right. Do you want to pick one of those? I'm thinking forgiveness. I wanted you to talk a little bit about in this segment and the next segment about how did you get to that? Because there are a lot of angry people out there that are listening to this show that are irate about what's happened to them. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was it was almost mandated because of number one of my belief as, as being a Christian. But I can be honest with you. I mean, when Cindy and Chelsea were killed, I was mad at God. I was very mad. Did not pick up my Bible for almost a year, and then I started adapted. Going through that whole year, I started realizing, you know what, I'm going to be the third victim in this tragedy. And I thought, you know, I need to get back to, to figuring out what's going on with me. And I started picking up some secular books on grieving, some uh, spiritual books on grieving. And then I picked up my Bible again, and I just said, you know, let me just find something in here that's going to help me. And I went to forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, I forgive you, Justin. But it, for me, it was really solidified when I actually met him in the room one-on-one mm-hmm. and I you know and I you know after all it was said and done you know we I embraced him and gave him a hug and I said you know I do forgive you so mm-hmm. to me, and that I would was, think that seeing his remorse and how sad and upset he was visibly would would help that situation did it oh absolutely yeah I knew it was genuine and you know and, and his attorney had called me the next day and he says you know he, was, he, he could not stop talking about you know how you've lifted the weight of the world off of his shoulders. 
you know, and here's this young man that was originally not going to be charged, and he, he heard that from the state attorney's office um, that he was not going to be charged and we're going to close the case. And then, you know, six months later, it, it all comes down on him again, and, you know, he felt, he, said he felt like he got in the second car accident, you know, just by finding out he's going to be arrested. So it was, um, yeah, you know, it's definitely changed his life. It's changed my life. Well, talk a little bit about writing, the written the power of the written word. Is that uh, does it help you to write, or are we talking about reading the written word? Well, basically, you know, for me, it was more. I did a lot, a lot of reading. I, I would keep notes on things and things I was feeling, and I could sometimes I just feel an emotion, and, and you know, if I don't write it down, I'm going to forget it half the time. So, you know, I would write stuff down, and just trying to put stuff on paper helped me, but. Most of it came from just from reading some of the different books, and then I started realizing, okay, that's that's some kind of behavior I've been displaying for the past maybe 30 days, and it makes sense now, you know, after reading it, uh, that somebody else had, had gone through something similar. Mm-hmm. So, and, yeah. and, and talk a little bit about laughing. Um, it's okay to laugh. You know, sometimes you feel guilty, especially in the beginning. I mean, I would, you know, something, you know, you almost feel like, Am I allowed to do this? You know, am I feeling guilty because, you know, I'm, I'm laughing and, you know, yes, I've lost my wife and my daughter and, you know, you almost feel there's some kind of guilt, but it's, it's really okay. And, you know, I've got a pretty crazy sense of humor. Um, some people say, you know, some of the things I do are definitely off the wall, but, um, it, it was okay to start laughing again and starting to live again. Absolutely. Well, and we even had a guest on the show that said when, that she does, you know, facilitates compassionate friends sharing sessions, and she has to say to the newer bereaved, sometimes we'll laugh in here, and that might be offensive at first to you. Eventually you'll get to that point, but you might not be there yet. Right. Absolutely. I was talking to somebody yesterday who said that they walked into a room of uh, bereaved parents, and some people were smiling and talking, and it was early on, and they thought, wow. But they said that they felt that, well, maybe I'll feel that way sometime, too, that I'll be able to smile again. Well, you know, my experience with Compassionate Friends, you know, this last conference that they had was was amazing. It's the first one I've been to, and I was, you know, blessed to be invited as a speaker and to be there amongst, you know, some fifteen, seventeen hundred people, and sitting at table, tables with them, and eating with them, and, and you know, actually joking and laughing, and it was it was amazing. It's, it's like a huge family. Mm-hmm. It is. It's, it's an amazing experience job. for anybody who hasn't been there. Uh, hopefully, you'll be able to come to. The- one this summer in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I think I'm being signed up as a facilitator. So. Oh, great! <laughs> we'll get yeah, to see you there. That'll be wonderful. Well, um, also, I want I wanted to ask you a little bit. You you talked a little bit about staying connected. Would would what did you mean about that? Staying connected with the community. Um, as far as you mean being being involved with with with. People in my community and stuff, that yeah. were, uh-huh. and and you know, still being involved with, you know, I, I, what I found was really strange. And then, and you know, once you, you know, like I lost my wife and my daughter, all of a sudden your circle of friends start changing. People start feeling awkward around you, and I started meeting new people. And it just, it you know, and the stuff that I was doing, like especially with Safe Team Driver, you know, for me it was let's start this program, and it was just about me and Justin. That's my initial intent was. This is a way for him and I to both heal and also to get, you know, to, to save lives and for him to give back to the community. And just the amount of people that, that I just start pulling out of the woodwork uh, in my area was amazing. And just to be able to help others. I think well, and I'm sure you've heard some amazing stories about how your program has saved lives. 
Yes, and you know, I don't, I don't realize how many people I, I touch until, you know, like if there's a movie or I've been on a talk show or something and I get hundreds and hundreds of emails and, you know, and I get stories from people all over. It's just, it, it's truly, that's, to me, that's the greatest satisfaction is, is knowing that we are doing something positive. Well, just last year, Congress passed um, the National Teen Driver Week. It's a, it's a safe driving program. And it's basically... Um, you know, it's an awareness program that involves the community leaders, uh, educators, and parents. And it's just trying to educate parents primarily on the dangers of letting your team, you know, putting your team out there for the first time behind the wheel of a car. Um, so many parents are just, you know, unfortunately, I hate to say a lot of parents are bad teachers because your kids start learning how to drive from a very young age while sitting in the car seat behind you. You know, whether you're right. Yeah, whether you're on the cell phone or you're you're distracted or whatever, and or or kids, if you have road rage, because I've seen adults have road rage before with their kids in the car. Oh, absolutely. And so it's it's this is more about awareness. And like I said, we lose too many teenagers on on our on our roads each year, and it's, something needs to be done about it. So. Six thousand five hundred. Hmm. Yes. Big Waste number. Money. Yeah. Uh, so, what would people do about national teen safety? They're just going to be uh, public service ads and that kind of thing, or yes, yeah. Some schools and, and some uh, driving programs and stuff are, are doing things around the country, and uh, you know, it's just it's just about an awareness. And like I said, it just started last year. Was, uh, Congress signed it into into law, so this is the second year for it, and I'm, I'm praying that you know it starts getting a lot more momentum, a lot more attention. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to hit that hit you before we ended the show with that one little idea. What about if? What's your thought on forgiveness? If if the person who perpetrated the accident or whatever happened, or even murder for some of our audience, um, what what's your take on that? Yeah, if they're not remorseful, or if they're not taking responsibility for it, saying, "Well, it, it wasn't really my fault," or you know. Mm-hmm. I, you know, interestingly enough, I, I see it from both sides of the fence because not only in my program is, is you know, it's, it's, my program is not just about Justin and myself. I have a lot of young people who are actually sentenced to my program if they've been convicted of a vehicular crime, whether it be DUI manslaughter or, you know, reckless driving of, of some sort of nature. And I've, I've been called to testify in many courtrooms and, you know, trying to, trying to bring the two parties together. Um, I've seen it from people that have not forgiven the, the person who is very remorseful who caused the crash and maybe killed the, the passenger in the car and, you know, to to people that have said, hey, you know, it's not my fault. I, you know, I wasn't doing anything wrong. And there's a young man that's sitting in, in prison right now. He just got 13 years uh, for killing a, a young girl who was a passenger in a car that he was drunk, went through a stop sign and, and killed this young girl. And only till now, he's been in prison about six months as he's starting to accept full responsibility for it, but he fought it all the way up until he got sentenced uh, to 13 years in prison. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's a tough road. It, it's a very hard road. And and um, we had one person say um, uh, that when he forgave, he realized the person he set free was himself. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, I've, I've heard that, and, it, you know, like I said, even in my case where Justin, you know, when I forgave Justin and, and he accepted full responsibility for what he did, you know, he said it started his healing process, and he's actually been involved with some of these young people that are sent to my program to to talk to them because most of them that come in the program have committed some core, some sort of a you know where a death was involved. So, you know, he's able to talk to them and teach them how to accept what they've done, and and you know, 
and apologize for what they've done and also accept themselves because I can't imagine for myself getting up every morning and looking in the mirror and going, man, I killed somebody. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. And I would think they'd be able to hear it a lot better coming from him because he's been there. He knows exactly. what he's going through. He's he's felt that pain and he's been on that side. So I'm thinking, Heidi, that I hope that Justin will write something for our website as well as Bruce. Mm-hmm. That would be great. Because I he's know good. that... He does put down some good stuff on, on words. And like I said, when he speaks... Um, he speaks from the heart, and he definitely gets the kids' attention. Um, so, well, Bruce, if our, uh, do you uh, need volunteers or have, uh, you know any kind of help with this kind of thing? Or if what if people want to set up a program in their community, they get in touch with you through uh, Bruce at SafeTeenDriver.org. Yes, yeah, the best best way to get a hold of us um, if you're looking to get to book us even for to come out to your school. You know, there's a uh, form you need to fill out on the on the website and I have a girl that, that goes through the scheduling and we try to, you know, when, if we're in a different state, we try to book several assemblies in, in the same neighborhood so, or in the same area. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and, and uh, it's been wonderful having you on, Bruce. Thanks, well, thank Bruce. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. Well, it's time to close our show now and I want to thank our guest, Bruce Mirakami. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.